Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. So as we turn now to God's Word today, we are going to be primarily looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. And I thought about reading the whole chapter because I'm basically teaching from the whole chapter, but I'm going to to pick a few key verses. And if you've been following along for the last several weeks, you'll know that we're in a series called Mindset. And we're focusing on this reality that, man, whatever gets a hold of our mind, our our thoughts, um, whatever really takes a you know, takes a hold of our thought life and our minds, it has the power to control our lives. It has the power to dictate our actions on a daily basis. Whatever gets a hold of your mind gets a hold of you. That's how it works. Our our life always tends to move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so as we learn to face um, the battle of the mind where our minds are crowded with all sorts of thoughts on a daily basis, worries, anxieties, fears, concerns, and the reality of mental health, you know, it's no stranger to any of us that this has skyrocketed over the past 20 or 30 years as technology has increased. This is a huge issue, not just inside the church, but for our whole culture. So the question is this, What does God's word say about it? How do we engage in the battle of the mind? How do we fight the battle of our mind? How do we build a biblical mindset that allows us to weather the storms of life, that keeps us anchored in the truth of Christ no matter what may be happening? And in 1 Kings 19, we're gonna look at the life of Elijah, but I've titled my message today, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, Beyond Your Breaking Point. Beyond your breaking point. Anybody in here ever had a moment where you thought, this is it? I don't see any way forward. I have no idea how I'm gonna get out of this. I have nothing left to give. This is it, I'm done, I've had enough. Have you reached your breaking point? Do you know that experience? Have you felt the overwhelming, crushing weight of despair And you've said, there's no hope for the future. I've tried all I can do. Nothing is changing. I'm stuck. The situation is stuck. It's all a mess. I've reached the end, God. I've reached my breaking point. Friends, maybe you've not quite made it there, but you've felt that a little bit. Maybe you've tasted what it feels like to reach the end of yourself. And this story In 1 Kings 19, it's the story of Elijah, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, who reached his breaking point who was drowning in despair, this man of God, this man of faith. I was so encouraged reading about how, you know, low Elijah got, not because I was in a weird, sadistic way, you know, happy about his pain. I was like, I'm happy that I'm not the only one. And I'm happy the Bible doesn't shy away from talking about the real humanity of humans and what we all face. And friends, some of you know what despair feels like, depression feels like. You know the weight of debilitating sadness to where you can't see another step forward. Some of you know and you know people who have experienced the, the, the reality, the tragic reality of suicidal thoughts or ideation around, gosh, despair is so heavy, there's no way forward. What's the point of me being here? 
Friends, these are real issues. And so we're gonna look at God's word and tenderly approach a topic that a lot of people are dealing with. And we're gonna say, okay, what can we learn? What is God teaching us about the, the dynamics of what led to despair in Elijah's life, what leads to despair in our life, and how did God bring him out of it? Because Elijah didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. So there's three primary things we're gonna look at. From despair to hope. Number one, in Elijah's story, we see this. Even our heroes are human. Praise God for that. Even our heroes need a savior. They need a hero. Even Elijah needed saving. Number two, we're gonna look at the dynamics of our despair, what leads us into hopelessness, despair, depression. And then number three, how do we receive heaven's help? There's a lot of different things that we need to and should be doing, just practical things to, to journey our way through despair and depression out the other side into freedom. But what does it look like to receive heaven's help? So that's where we're headed today. And 1 Kings 19, the first thing that we see is simply this, even our heroes are human. And Elijah, make no mistake about it, he was one of our heroes. He was one of the heroes of the Old Testament. He was pictured in the New Testament as one of the, the figures with Jesus on top of the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain and he revealed his glory to them. He took away the veil of his humanity and he revealed himself as God and they fell on their faces and they looked up, Peter looked up and standing with Jesus was Moses and Elijah. We're talking about Elijah, friends. If you grew up in church, Sunday school, anybody have those felt boards in Sunday school? Come on, one or two of you. I know you had to. The felt boards, yes. Elijah was like the main, one of the main felt board heroes like back in the day on the felt board in Sunday school. We all learned about his resume. And I don't know what's on your resume, you know, where you went to high school. I worked at Starbucks for a couple years, went to college so-and-so, started, did an internship. I'm sure your resume is great. When I compare my resume to Elijah's resume, <laughs> I, I'm like, man, Lord, there's no way this guy struggled with a lack of faith. There's no, there's no way this guy with this resume would ever have doubted you or ended up in a place of utter despair. I mean, Elijah, he was the prophet sent from God when Ahab was king of Israel and Ahab married this woman named Jezebel who was a princess of Phoenicia. And Jezebel worshiped this God of the ancient Near East called Baal. And Baal, there were a lot of different versions of Baal and different Baal cults, but essentially Baal was the God of the rain, the storm bringer. He was the God of fertility. So whenever all the people in the ancient Near East wanted crops to grow, needed food, they needed to have children, they would sacrifice to Baal. They would worship Baal. He was constantly a temptation for the people of God throughout the whole Old Testament to turn away from God and to worship Baal. Baal was often symbolized by a golden calf or a golden bull. You see those showing up several times in the Old Testament, never a good thing. And Elijah shows up on the scene as Ahab, this evil, wicked king. It says Ahab was one of the most evil kings in all of Israel's history. 
Ahab and Jezebel, they killed all the prophets of God, so they silenced the voice of God. The prophets of God were the voice of God in the land. And so Jezebel now has influence over the politics and the religion of the entire country. And the only one left is Elijah. And God appears to Elijah and says, hey, I want you to go tell Ahab something for me right now. Tell Ahab, I'm sending a drought. For the next three years, it's not gonna rain. There won't even be dew on the ground. I've gotta get your attention. I've gotta get Israel's attention because they've turned away from me. They're worshiping this non-God. They're sacrificing even their children. They're doing horrible things, worshiping this demonic, you know, thing called Baal, this golden calf that can never save them. I gotta get their attention. So Elijah, tell them, I'm gonna bring a drought and I'm gonna prove that I'm God and that Baal is not. I'm gonna prove that Baal is not the God of the rain that I am because I'm gonna shut up the heavens for three years. And it happened. There was no rain for three years. Now, Ahab and Jezebel got really mad at Elijah because they're thinking, we gotta kill this guy. He's the reason it's not raining. So they put a bounty on his head and they went after him. And then three years later, I mean, God supernaturally sustained him. He sent birds to Elijah in the middle of the wilderness to bring him food and water. He supernaturally recreated food in Zarephath at a widow's house. Elijah actually raised a young boy from the dead. He's one of the few characters in the entire Bible who has actually raised someone from the dead. His resume is incredible. And then after three years, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah again. And it says, God says, hey, Elijah, go get everyone together. I'm bringing the rain. I'm bringing the rain. Call the entire nation to Mount Carmel. Call all the prophets of Baal. There's going to be a showdown. Me versus them. We're going to have two bulls, two altars. They're going to call on Baal. You're going to call on me. And whichever God answers by fire, the whole nation will now know that's the one true God and they should repent and follow me. So Elijah, he's just like you and me. He's fired up. He's like, woo, let's go, everybody. Golden one center. Let's light the beam. Here we go, right? It's going to be awesome. Everybody gather. Hey, prophets of Baal, all 850, there's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 prophets, verse one. Meet me down there. Everybody gather. Here's the situation. Both of us are going to call on God. You're going to call on Baal. I'm going to call on Yahweh. We'll see which God answers by fire. And whoever answers by fire, that's the true God. Elijah shows up. Then the fire of the Lord fell. He calls fire from heaven, burned the sacrifice, also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. They fell on their faces and they yelled aloud, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It worked. They saw a fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal all day long were cutting themselves and yelling. And the whole time, Elijah gives like the greatest smack talk section in the entire Bible. If you want an amazing, like, man, this is how to talk some trash uh, according to scripture. Elijah literally, as they're trying to get Baal to send fire from heaven, he goes, all right, guys, he is up there, right? Oh, I know, maybe, maybe, just maybe he's traveling or he's on a trip right now. Perhaps he's tired, he took a nap. I don't know, just, just throwing out guesses here. Maybe he's relieving himself in the bathroom. Look it up, Elijah said it, I promise you. 
He's just talking trash. He knows like where this thing is going. And then right after that happens, he runs up to the top of the mountain. It says, meanwhile, he began to pray for the rain. God said, the rain's coming. The sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab, the wicked king of Israel, he rode off to Jezreel, the capital, which is where Jezebel was. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He outran the horses. Okay, this guy's resume is nuts. What he's seen God do is insane. And yet, yet, we find himself just a few verses later in total despair. What are the dynamics of our despair? What, what led him to a place of despair? I want to read for you what was going on. So when Ahab got home, Elijah beat him there because he outran the horses. When Ahab got to Jezreel, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you. You're dead. I'm going to kill you. I've been looking for you for three years. Now you're in my front yard. You're right outside. I'm going to kill you. Sends a messenger down to say that. It goes on. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He left his servant in Beersheba. So he left that guy while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's isolated. He's alone. He sat down under a broom bush and prayed that he might die. Elijah just saw fire from heaven fall. He just felt the spirit of God help him run faster than Usain Bolt and the fastest person alive. He's raised someone from the dead. He prayed and it began to rain again. Elijah is a man of faith. And you mean to tell me? There were literal commentators that I read this week who said, I think this is a mistake in the story. You mean to tell me that like four verses after all that happened, now here we are under this broom tree alone in the wilderness and Elijah is asking God to kill him. And he says, I've had enough. Anybody been there? Just me? Okay. I've had enough. It's enough, God. I can't take anymore. Lord, he goes on. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I failed who came before me. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Friends, Elijah had no plans for his life after the broom tree. That was the end of the road for him. He believed he was going to lay down, take a nap, and never wake up. What led to Elijah's despair? How did he end up here? What creates our despair? Okay, number one. I imagine this. You can imagine this with me. Elijah running to Jezreel. Why would he go to the one place where Jezebel is who's been trying to kill him for three years? Why would he go there? Because he wants to see it all go down. The nation has just turned back to God. He believes it's over. He's won. The drought did what it was supposed to do. The people were desperate for God. They turned back to God. God answered by fire. Then God sent the rain. So all the people know that Baal doesn't exist and God is God. And now he's running back to Jezreel. He's going to wait outside the palace. I imagine right at the bottom of the steps that lead up to the palace where Ahab and Jezebel live. And he's right there. He's waiting. Ahab goes up. He shares the news with Jezebel. And he's thinking, this is it. 
They're going to come down. They're going to apologize to me for trying to kill me. They're going to repent and turn back to God. I can't wait to see this. They're finally going to do it. And even if they don't repent and turn back to God, the people saw what happened. They're going to overthrow them and the people will rise up and the people will have my back. But what happens? He's waiting. He's waiting. I imagine he's waiting. And all of a sudden, a messenger comes down with a note from Jezebel. So Ahab tells Jezebel what happened. Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you. Question. Elijah is on her front porch. She's been trying to kill this guy for three years. Why did she send a messenger? Why didn't she just send a soldier? Cut a set off right there. Why didn't she just arrest him? Why did she just send a threat? Well, think about what just happened. She knew what just happened. Elijah just called down fire from heaven. She's not going to mess with that. She's not going to create more conflict in Jezreel. She'd be afraid if she sent soldiers or tried to attack him, either the people would rise up or he would just say, all right, God, like finish it. So she's like, well, maybe I can just convince him that I can kill him and I'll just threaten to kill him and we'll see what happens. So he reads the message from Jezebel, says you got 24 hours to live. Literally, this is Elijah's doomsday scenario. Came across this on uh, social media the other day. It's a real thing. Maybe you already know about it. Has anyone heard of the doomsday clock? Time Magazine, they do this now. I don't know if you saw this. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. So they just announced the doomsday clock. This is a group of scientists and brilliant minds from around the world that they look at sort of the, uh, the state of things worldwide, uh, conflicts, wars, you know, where are we at internationally with, you know, nuclear armament, things like AI. They're looking at all the things that humans could use to destroy each other and destroy the world. And they literally put a, a timer on it and say, okay, we're about this close to doomsday. Very encouraging idea, very encouraging clock, right? The idea behind that is, okay, we need to change some things and start treating each other better so we don't kill each other. Now, <laughs> what's interesting in 1947, that's when the first doomsday clock was set. It was after the invention of the atomic bomb. Those scientists in 1947, 56 years ago, set the clock to 20 minutes. 20 minutes. At the beginning of 2024, just a few weeks ago, the clock was set to 90 seconds. So you got 90 seconds to live, guys, just letting you all know, okay? It's not an actual timetable. They're just saying, hey, based on international things, this is what we think. And friends, I'm not kidding you. At the end of watching, you know, the whole explanation of why we all have 90 seconds to live, I'm like over on the side researching like plots of land in the middle of Canada. How can I live off the grid? I need to dig a huge hole, put everything in it. I need a lot of fresh water and canned goods and, you know, non-perishables and whatever else I need to survive the apocalypse, right? I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to run and hide because... If the end of the world is coming, man, I better be ready for it. Which the end of the world is coming at some point. I don't know when, I don't know how. The Bible talks about it. We don't know all the circumstances or the timing of it, but what struck me was this. Elijah was listening to Jezebel, believed he had 24 hours to live. His doomsday clock was ticking and it completely distracted him from the fact that, wait a second, 
I serve a, the God of heaven who can literally do anything, including call down fire from heaven, sustain me through a drought, give me supernatural power to run faster than a horse. What am I afraid of? He doesn't stop to think of any of that. He just runs for his life. He listens to the message. He's afraid, filled with anxiety, fear, runs for his life to the point of total exhaustion. He left his servant. He isolated himself, left his servant. He sat down under a broom tree, a bush, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. You know what's amazing? As I was thinking about it in the middle of researching how to survive the apocalypse for myself, <laughs> I realized, you know, despair, crippling despair, depression, sorrow, sadness, this idea that I'm looking at the future right now and I can't see any way forward. I can't see anything good. It's all gonna fall apart. Despair is actually rooted in the fact that you believe you can see the future or know the future. It's also rooted in the fact that you have the ultimate power to control or change the future. You see, the doomsday clock is literally um, founded on the premise that humanity must save itself before humanity kills itself. But it's still based on the premise that humanity is the only shot for humanity's salvation. You see, as Christians, we know and believe, yes, there will be a day when this world ends. I don't know how that's gonna happen. I don't know what it's gonna look like. There are a lot of different views on the end times, but I know that Christ is returning. I know there's a moment coming where this world ends. And friends, for the Christian, that's not doomsday. That's just the beginning of the new world. That's the beginning of the world that is reigned and ruled by Jesus and perfection and perfect righteousness and equity. And friends, the future, C.S. Lewis said it best, what lies ahead, what lies before us for the Christian is better than anything that lies behind, even if we're talking doomsday. There is no doomsday for the Christians. Yes, things may get hard. Yes, this life will have suffering and pain, but ultimately our hope is in the one who reigns over it all who knows the future, who holds the future in his hand, and for him, nothing is out of control. And so Elijah, he was listening to the wrong voice. Elijah was running in fear. Elijah said, I give up. I've had enough. I've reached the end in exhaustion. Take my life. There's no hope for the future. I'm a total failure. I'm no better than my father's. How crazy is that, that Elijah actually believed he was no better than his father's? What just happened? Four verses earlier, the whole nation turned back to God. They fell on their face and they cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. What do you mean you're no better than your fathers? Elijah, you just did it, right? Yeah, so Jezebel still wants you dead. No big deal, God's on your side. You're a man of God. Surely you have enough faith to get through this little threat from Jezebel. Nope, he believes he's a total failure. He laid down in the bush, fell asleep. Friends, what are the dynamics of our despair? Disappointment. Have you been disappointed? Did it not go the way you hoped it was going to go? Do you feel under some form of threat or fear? Jezebel could threaten him, but she didn't have the authority to kill him. 
Nothing is outside of God's authority over your life. Remember that, friends. Um, she gave a false timeline. She gave a doomsday. She made him think that it was completely up to Elijah to fix it and solve it and survive when really all of it was in God's hands. This produced fear, worry, anxiety. Friends, what are the messages? What things are getting through into your life that are putting you into a spiral of fear? worry, anxiety that are causing you maybe internally to run for your life until you are utterly, utterly isolated, exhausted, and in despair. You have no idea how things could get better. You have no hope for the future and you want it to end now. And friends, today in our world, in our generation, the reality of Suicide, the reality of mental health issues that lead you to the end of the rope. And I know there, there are probably some in this room that have battled it, experienced there, those watching online, or you know someone who has. It's a real thing. It's a heavy thing. It, it requires a multifaceted approach to healing and to wholeness and wellness. I don't want to oversimplify this and say, man, if you just pray a couple verses and do the right things, you'll be all right. That's not what I'm here to say. But what I am here to say is that, look, even our heroes, even the man of God, Elijah, even those of great faith can find themselves right here. So if you have found yourself here where you give up, you feel like, feel like a failure, I'm no better than my father's, could it be that maybe we're listening to the wrong voice? Could it be there's something, a battle in our mind that we need to let others into? Could it be that this isn't the end of God's story or the end of the road for you, but he wants to whisper hope into your soul today and say, don't give up. I know you're at your breaking point. I know you're at the end of the road. I know you think you can't take another step, but the moment you lay down and surrender and say, Lord, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. That's when God begins to work. Right there is when God goes, okay, my turn. Elijah, I know it's been tough. I know you thought this was going to go different, but right there when you completely give up in despair of life itself and you're at the end, you're at your breaking point, that's when God shows up and begins to do his best work. How do we receive heaven's help? Well, let's look at what happens next to Elijah. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat, Elijah. Friends, do you know that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do, the grace of God, the most powerful help from heaven that God chose to give Elijah in the midst of this was food and water and rest. He goes, sleep in the shade of this broom tree. Eat some food, drink some water. Oh, and Elijah, um, there's some bread, there's some water. He drank and then he lay down again and went to sleep again. He just needed rest. Sometimes when you're at the end of yourself, burned out, exhausted, full of despair, can't see the way forward, take a nap, go eat a good meal, talk to a trusted friend, take a walk by a lake, move your body, rest your body, exercise, right? Sometimes the grace of God comes to us in the most practical forms. Maybe for you, it's a step away from isolation and into therapy to at least talk to somebody about what you're going through. We'd love to help you on that journey. If you want to connect with us at our welcome tents, um, Kari or others on our team can help put you in touch with amazing Christian counselors. But friends, 
you have to see, you have to understand that sometimes the grace of God first comes to us and says, okay, I want to help you in your current physical situation. Going to meet you where you are. Now, here's the amazing thing. It goes on. It says this, then the angel of the Lord, this wasn't just any angel. Throughout the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord shows up. The angel of the Lord appears as the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus Christ before he became born of a Virgin Mary on Christmas morning. This is the pre-incarnate, pre-existing Jesus. That's the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. So Jesus is the one who comes to him, wakes him up and says, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength. This food was supernatural food from heaven, bread of water, the, the living bread from heaven, the living water from heaven, the supernatural rest that only comes from God. And it sustained him to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai through the wilderness, the mountain of God. He found a cave and he stayed there. So, the end of the road for Elijah was the broom tree. There were no plans beyond that. Despair was it. God, if the fire from heaven didn't work, if my obedience didn't work, if the drought didn't work, if all these things didn't work, clearly there's nothing that's going to work. It's over. And God goes, okay, you done, buddy? I love you. Are you done? Good. Okay, I'm going to give you some supernatural food, and I'm going to take you to the mountain of God. Jesus shows up as the angel of the Lord, he gives him the bread of life, the living water from heaven. He says, take a nap. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And now let me carry you across the wilderness with supernatural food for 40 days and 40 nights so you can meet with my father. He's got a few things to talk to you about. So Elijah is in this cave. What a beautiful picture. Not a beautiful, but realistic picture of despair and depression. He's in this cave and He's probably not even expecting to be there, but God asks him a very relevant question once he gets there. What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm sure Elijah's like, I don't know. I thought the broom tree was the end. I have no idea. I just know an angel came and gave me some uh, supernatural miracle food to get me across this wilderness for the next 40 days. Here I am. Um, what are you doing here, Elijah? But Elijah replied, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm doing here, God. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. I've done everything you asked, all of it. I did it all, God. But the people of Israel, they have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. There's a couple problems here. Uh, everything after the first part is not true. <laughs> what are you doing here, Elijah? It's kind of like God after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. He goes, where are you guys? He knew where they were. It's like Peter after Peter denied him three times. Jesus met Peter by the seashore and he goes, Peter, do you love me? He's asking Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he doesn't, he's not shaming him. He's not like, hey, why didn't you have faith? You just saw the fire that I've sent. Like, it's gonna be okay, man, chill out. Why are you despairing? He goes, what are you doing here? He lets Elijah vent and Elijah tells God all the things that Israel did wrong like five years ago. But he doesn't mention anything to God about the fact that they all just turned back to him when they saw the fire from heaven. He's living in all the past junk, right? 
And then he says this, they are all trying to kill me too. They're not trying to kill you, Elijah. They love you. They all turn back to God. There's just one, Jezebel, maybe Ahab, throw two in there. They want you dead. But your mind has taken this thing way out of proportion. I'm still in control, Elijah. And so God goes, I need to recalibrate your hearing, Elijah. And what happens next? This has puzzled me from the very first time I ever read this story. A powerful story, but I thought, man, what? Why this, God? I mean, look at this. Elijah's in the cave, and then God tells Elijah, he goes, stand out on the mountain in front of me. Elijah does not do that. He stays in the cave. And then from inside the cave, he hears a mighty wind, like the sound of a hurricane outside. And it says, but God was not in the wind. Then he heard an earthquake where boulders were coming down the mountain, crashing against one another. And it says, but God was not in the earthquake. Then fire fell from heaven. And he's like, all right, surely I remember God, you just did that a few days ago. Uh, maybe you're in the fire. And it says, but God was not in the fire. Then he heard, I love this powerful verse. He heard the sound of a gentle whisper and he covered his face and cloak because you can't look upon God and live. And he walked to the mouth of the cave and right there standing in the presence of God who was whispering to him. I thought, man, why the whisper? Loud wind, earthquake, fire from heaven. God's like, I'm not any of those. I know you're despairing of life. I know you think it's all over, Elijah. I know, I know, I know. Let it all out. And then in a little whispering voice, what does he say? <laughs> they have the exact same conversation again. Word for word. After all that, he goes, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah had to come close. What's, what's the context of a whisper? You can't hear a whisper unless you're really close to someone. When you're at the back of the cave, your despair, the darkness, the reality of what you're in, it feels so overwhelming and real. And maybe God is out there on the mountain somewhere, but he's scary and it's far away. And you're stuck there with your perception, with your sorrow, with your despair. And the whisper of God goes, I just need you a little bit closer to me, Elijah. Come a little closer right now because our despair, which is a total and utter lack of hope for the future, despair cannot coexist with a sovereign God who holds the future in his hands. He goes, Elijah, I need you to say that all to me one more time, but I need you to say it to me when you're in my presence, when you're really close to me. And Elijah goes, oh, I'll tell you why I'm here, God. I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant, da 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 Same thing. But this time he heard himself say it in the presence, in the nearness of a sovereign God. And at the end of that verse, I'll invite the band to come out. We're closing with this. At the end of that verse, after Elijah pours his heart out to God one more time, God goes straight into, all right, here's what I got next for you, Elijah. I need you to go to Syria, anoint the next king. I need you to anoint Jehu, the next king of Israel. And then I need you to anoint Elisha as your successor. And oh, by the way, you're not alone, Elijah. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And so uh, I'm not done yet, Elijah. You need to understand, Elijah, that it may feel like I can't do anything else to fix this, but Elijah, don't give up. 
Friends, sometimes when you're in the, the midst and the depth of despair, I think of it like, you've probably heard the story of the man who was caught in a flood, he's drowning on the roof or he's on the roof about to drown and the Coast Guard sends a helicopter and the guy's getting lowered down to rescue him off the roof and the guy goes, I don't need it, my God's gonna save me. And then a boat, a U.S. Coast Guard boat comes rolling up and they say, come on, man, jump in. We'll get you out of here. He's like, I'm good. My God's got me. He's going to save me. Then one last guy comes along in like a kayak and he's like, here's a life jacket. He's like, I don't need it. My God will save me. And then he dies in the flood and he goes to heaven. He's like, God, why didn't you save me? And God's like, I sent you a helicopter, a boat, a canoe. What more do you need? And I think about this and I'm like, maybe some of you right now, you're like, great, awesome, thanks, pastor, but I'm stuck in despair. I don't know the way out. I've been here for a long time. And maybe God's like, well, just rest. Think about how you can put more rest into your life. Take care of your physical body. Let somebody else in. Move towards getting therapy. Let someone else know where you are. Start there. Then I want you to remember to make space for me in your life because there's a lot of noise in our lives. There's a lot of messages coming at you every day on the news, on social media, all the inputs. There's a lot of noise. Can you hear my voice? Can you hear the whisper? Make space for the whisper in your life. And remember that I'm with you, that I'm near you. I'm as close as a whisper through Jesus Christ. Now you can be with me and nothing can separate you from my love. Friends, take hope, take heart today. God is with you. Your story is not over. And when you reach your breaking point and you think it's the end, just remember that's when Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord comes and he meets you where you are and he gives you everything you need to take the next step. He will carry you to the Father. Amen. We're gonna close our time with communion as we always do. And we're also after communion, we're gonna have a time of prayer. If you want prayer, if, you've, if you feel like you've hit your breaking point or you're in that spot, you're in this battle of the mind and you're losing against despair, depression, these things, and you want prayer, you can come down front, pray with anyone on our prayer team. Our prayer walls are in the back. We'd love to pray with you. But right now, let's take communion together and remember that Christ died for us on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could be with him. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.